For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Ricardo. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Ricaro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and we are keeping score. Well... American Thanksgiving done and Black Friday after that with significant retail transformation into the digital space, heading to the end of the year Christmas holidays, everybody taking stock in their revenue and their business, and we're here to help as we're keeping score. Deal making three to one. Three. Number three, Flutter buying another 37.2% of FanDuel for $4.18 billion a deal that accelerates a previously determined investment timeline and values of the gaming brand at $11.2 billion. The international gambling giant Flutter announced the transaction last Thursday. They'll own 95% of FanDuel once the deal closes. It'll fund part of the acquisition with $2.02 billion in cash and the rest by issuing consideration shares to the company's early private equity investors. Sportico confirmed that Flutter shares jumped as much as 13% on the London Stock Exchange following the announcement. Flutter first invested in FanDuel in 2018, shortly before the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the federal ban on sports betting. It took a 58% stake, then at roughly $558 million valuation, plans to buy the rest in two separate tranches over the next few years. Thursday's transactions sped up that timeline. Flutter's brands include Patty Power, Betfair, SkyBet, and FoxBet, which it acquired through its acquisition of the Stars Group. Under Flutter's part ownership, FanDuel is becoming a dominant brand in online U.S. sports betting. It holds 33.4% of the U.S. market, according to various consultants, more than any other concern. That's deal-making issue number three. Two. Number two, organizers of the Paris 2024 Olympic and Paralympic Games have released a new venue master plan as part of the ongoing efforts to cut costs by almost $500 million. SportsPro says the 32 Olympic sports, 24 will now be held within six miles of the athlete's village, ensuring all venues will be accessible by public transport. At the heart of the new blueprint is increased venue sharing between different sports and venues. Among the changes will be para-table tennis moving to the arena, the same venue that will host Olympic table tennis. Para-judo is also set to move. Para-taekwondo and para-swimming also sharing venues. The changes mean the two additional temporary venues will no longer be required. One of the few stadiums that will be needed for soccer, the plans will be discussed with international federations. And despite the cost reductions, Paris 2024 organizers said that all of its iconic venues have been retained for the games. One. Now, number one. In concert with Twitch, Amazon will once again be the exclusive source 
of live NFL game content. Amazon Prime Video and Twitch stream the Saturday, December 26th NFL games between the Cardinals and the Niners. Synopsis reminded us that Amazon has a digital rights deal with the NFL that includes one late-season NFL game per season that won't air on national TV. Ready to deliver the gift of football for Prime members this holiday season, says the folks that control the deal. And another unique twist, the December 26th NFL matchup is a home game of sorts for both teams. The Niners have temporarily moved their operations to Arizona due to Santa Clara County contact sport restrictions driven by COVID. And that's deal-making issue number one. You know what they all depend on? Fans having a renewed interest in sports for a variety of reasons. Players dealing with crowdless facilities and watching games on TV as a basically revenue salvation. We have somebody that puts it in psychological terms for people to understand. Paul Shotland, Dr. Paul Shotland, a clinical psychologist who has been involved in sports as well as casual and intense fans. He understands athletics. His practice is dealing with athletes focusing on the sports world as well. North Carolina undergrad teaching at Harvard. He's interested in all aspects of the COVID malaise, what's happening, how it's dealt with, where we're going in the future. Are wins or losses better or harder these days? Those are the kind of issues Dr. Shotland covers. Here he is now. COVID has many impacts. We talk about it from a business perspective, causing a significant reduction in what we've said is a $1.3 trillion business of sports. We've covered athletes. We've covered celebrities, coaches, fans, players, teams, mayors, all perspectives. Now this is an interesting perspective because we're going to cover this from somebody from the psychological perspective, uh, Dr. Paul Shotland, who between the University of North Carolina undergrad and an instructor in psychology at the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard, certainly has it all covered. And luckily, as a Harvard law student, I never really needed to take Paul's counsel on the other side of the river, but I knew it was there. How are you? I am fine, Rick. Thank you. Listen, the bottom line of all of this is that you are uniquely qualified to talk about the unprecedented impact of a global pandemic from a perspective that we really haven't covered before. So give us your first instinct, Paul, on the and what what COVID has done, people that you've, you've noticed professionally and personally, how, how, is, how has COVID impacted their lives from an emotional, maybe a psychological perspective as well? Rick, I think in two ways. There's the immediate reaction to COVID when it first started and now in the surge, which is I see and I field a lot of questions from patients um, about their risk level. And um, more patients right now are very anxious and, and, and taking a lot of precautions and don't know what precautions to take and don't exactly know how anxious they really need to be given their risk level. That's sort of the immediate response that people have. And when they settle into a COVID lifestyle, which means that they're not activated so much with anxiety, but they've now reduced their lifestyle 
to one that has more isolation and less variability, there's sort of a muting of their emotions and a muting of their ability because there's not a lot happening to enjoy themselves. So if I said anything, there's an old term called dysthymia, which was not used now, but it was a short, a lighter version of depression. It was almost like 199, maybe 100 degree fever as opposed to 102 degree fever. So people are really sort of mildly down and bored. And so from that perspective, uh, we've talked before about all of this. And one of the phrases you've used is to manage appropriate anxiety level given lifestyle changes. We all know that we like to be in control. And I guess one yeah. of the psychological tolls of COVID, and we'll get to sports in a couple of minutes, is that we're really n- not in control. We have parents to not knowing whether to send their kids to school, what the impact on their grandparents is going to be, when the vaccine actually happens, what does it really mean as far as treatment, what do we need to do to get there? I mean, we have a lot more questions than answers. We have a lot less questions that are unanswered today than we did in March, but certainly we have a lot more questions than answers. What, 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 is that, what does that mean to you? Well, it's, it's interesting because you rightly said there is a greater feeling. We all like to be in control and we all generally feel um, that this is not a, an easily definable problem to control because you can't see it and it's, it's so profound in terms of um, the, the breadth of its uh, effect on people and how many people are getting it. But I do want to say this. The thing I do help people with, because they feel out of control of the virus, but they're not out of control, and this helps them a lot, of what they do personally to lower their risk level and to reduce the likelihood of having the virus affect them. So that gives them a sense of control, and they want to know they generally want to know what they need to do. And I always, I always say, listen, I go with Anthony Fauci. And I personally um, advise people, if they wear a mask, they socially distance, they wash after changing, wash their hands after they change environment, and they stay out of big crowds. And if they do that, in a very disciplined way, they're unlikely to be able to get the virus, even if it's around them. So they don't focus on what the virus is doing and what's happening to other people. All they do is they hold on to what is the truth. And that is medically the truth. That if you do those three or four things, you will have a great deal of control over your health. Your mouth to God's ears, and obviously people need to follow that. Let's segue a little bit into sports. You're obviously a clinical psychologist, but have a significant specialty working with athletes, and you're very familiar with the sports world. The interface of sports and is being more important today because of the effects of COVID. Um, 
tell, tell me, tell me your assessment of all that is, is the sports world more important today? Cause we need a social connection. Is the sports world less important because some people see it as frivolous. Talk about that. There's no question in my mind that the sports world has taken on even more importance, even though in many sports, there's a lack of fans um, that can see it live. The reason it's taken on more importance is because COVID and the COVID lifestyle has tamped down our ability to enjoy life in a, in a free range type of way. So we're really very restricted to our environment. We can't go out and we can't do a lot of things that we used to do to have fun. So under the protection of our own bubble, we get to look forward to watching sports. And that has elevated its relevance in terms of excitement relative to the COVID type of existence we have. And so people are now looking forward to, I think they're even more looking forward to not only their team playing, but they're looking forward to any teams playing because if they like the sport or they like sports, that gives them something to do for that two to three hours. That's not just sitting around doing what they've done for the rest of the day and week. Let's shift to the athletes, not the ones you necessarily represent, but you can speak generally about that world. Um, the athlete today who um, feels like uh, he's a pro golfer, but he can't get to uh, elevate because there's a uh, freeze at the top of, of qualifying, the uh, NCAA player who may have a scholarship because they're not going to take it from him, but he's a year away from going to the pros because his his world is is changed. All of the players who were planning on playing this year and having a career, uh, and now everything is kind of on hold. Ivy League with no spring sports, no fall sports. What what does it mean to the athletes that you see or know about that COVID has affected their lives in such a way? Well, it's sort of like taking the wind out of their sails. If you know that feeling, it's like there's this excitement that they've had in their career, whether it's um, coming up through high school into college ball um, and then into pro ball. And um, there's been this, this increasing level of excitement in them and anticipation of, of really sort of um, feeling the ultimate feeling, whether their ultimate feeling was going to be a college football player or a pro football player. And that's particularly so for the guys who are younger in the leagues. And so it's almost like that balloon has burst for them, even though, um, you know, the football, I'm not sure about um, all sports, but football does have, I think, spaced fans. Um, golf, I don't even think really has fans. It has sort of VIP people walking around. And I think it's sort of a hollow, a much, you know, they're all very competitive people and they've all competed with very few fans. And they remember that experience when they were in high school and some of them, even when they were in college, 
So uh, they don't lose their competitive edge. They still need to and want to win. But it's, it's almost like uh, eating a cake without ice, icing. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like good to win, um, but it just doesn't have that excitement of hearing the crowds like at the Masters. It was not quite the Masters, either for the watcher uh, or the player. But there's no there's no question in my mind that in their minds at the Masters. They were just as competitive, but there was something missing for them, too. But that's why they're pros. But that's why they're pros. A lot of the guys excelled like never before this year in sports in crowdless environments. Some of the guys did not. Uh, you know, DeChambeau wins by six strokes uh, in crowdless environment because he focuses. Dustin wins by five at the Masters because he focuses. There are a lot of people who handle crowds well. There are a lot of people who feel like they couldn't get it, uh, their emotions up because they weren't there. Well, what, what's the, is there a kind of a psychological generality you can do with that? Or does it really depend on athlete by athlete and what's his makeup? Well, you know, you and I have had discussions about, you know, great amateurs in golf who actually, when they stepped into huge crowds, they were not as good a golfers as, when they were amateurs. So that's a factor. Uh, But you're saying there are certain guys who play through whether there's crowds or not and maintain the same level. And I think that does speak to something. I think that speaks to, um, I guess, the ability to certain people to go into what they call, you know, a flow or a zone. And it doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, when you're in a zone, in the zone, you're actually not aware in any sport of what's happening around you. You're just aware of your own flow. And so the pro athletes, let's say, you know, I'm I'm speaking of the individualized sports, um, they can maintain that zone uh, not equally. Um, There's... The, the greater athletes, the ones who win the most, are the ones who maintain that flow and zone. And I think that's why someone like Dustin Johnson just sort of like acted like he's the only one on the golf course. That's the way it seemed to me. He just, him and his caddy, they just went and they hit balls, ball after ball on the ball after ball. And it didn't matter who was close to him or who was far away from him. He just made the same swing every time. I didn't really see him, like, hiccup out there. And that's just his ability to be great is part, partly related to how long can you stay in that zone and how deep is that zone. And works to live with. And, and a final question for you as we all get into the holidays. Uh, are we – and this is a professional, personal people you see in life – uh, you are in a position to evaluate this more than anybody I know. Um, are we feeling as a society like we're recovering from the worst thing that ever happened to us and we see the light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, are we generally still focusing on a malaise, notwithstanding the announcement of the vaccine? 
just generally, what, what are you seeing with the people that are out there in your world? Well, I do think that the announcement of the vaccine, uh, even today, Mo- Moderna, uh, which is one of the two that have been FDA authorized, and there's at least two more, you know, in the uh, warm-up circle. Um, I do think, and I'm feeling it myself, I do think it's like there's this tunnel and there was no light. And now you can see at the end of this tunnel, there is light. So I think that people are feeling a little bit of a lift thinking that there's an end to this. And that is because of the vaccines. If there was no vaccine now, um, we would be in this COVID malaise um, still. But I think there's, there is, it's actually qualitatively changed inside because of the prospect of the vaccines being so close. Well, Paul Shotland provides some interesting perspective. We'll continue to check on him and what he says as we continue down the road with the pandemic, hopefully destined for recovery. Welcome to the Esports Minute of Keeping Score with Rick Hora. I'm Mitch Reams from the Esports Network. The Maui Invitational in Rocket League really highlighted some of the major potential in collegiate esports. The Maui Invitational is a college basketball tournament that has run since the early 80s. The tournament was born out of an iconic upset when Chaminade University in Hawaii took down a Ralph Sampson-led Virginia team in 1982. It's one of the biggest events before conference play begins every college basketball season. This year, they extended to College Rocket League, and the viewership was massive for a college esports event. They topped out at around 50 to 60,000 concurrent viewers on Twitch. While that may not sound like a ton, those are similar numbers to what mid-level matches in the top level of Rocket League esports draw. Plus, the Maui Invitational was also broadcast on ESPNU, so total viewership for the event is much higher. But the reason that this is so impressive is because college esports haven't taken off, really at all. First of all, player careers are much shorter, so college esports don't serve as a feeding ground to the pro scene like they do in traditional sports. It's rare to see any college esports event get anywhere near where the pro scene reaches in terms of viewerships. But this event managed to draw similar viewership, and a large part of that is thanks to the storylines built by the Maui event organizers. In all, 20 teams competed, ranging from top esports programs, to smaller colleges with leading Rocket League teams, to the eight college basketball programs competing in the basketball tournament in a few weeks. This event showed how collegiate esports can use existing traditional sports events with their own spin on it to drive much higher viewership than a straight up college event would normally draw. It also shows how traditional sports events can use esports to capture a potentially new audience. The event also showcased Rocket League, which is effectively soccer with cars, and its unique space in being approachable to a traditional sports fan while not being a pure model of sports like a Madden or NBA 2K. That's all for this Esports Minute of Keeping Score. Now back to Rick Hora. Let's deal with our minutes. First, the Lifestyle Minute. Enid Vienna, the lifestyle expert and wellness writer, She's the editor of two websites, theevsocial.com, covering entertainment, wellness, fashion, and travel, and hamptonsmoms.com, which addresses all things family on Long Island's magical East End. She contributes content to various magazines and websites, such as Hamptons Magazine and Art Sugar, and follow her on Instagram at evsocial and at hamptonsmoms. Today we talk about SoFi Stadium. It isn't taking in person's fans yet and is poised to be the hottest ticket in town once it can. Stadium's getting raves for its architecture and abundant amenities, which include a translucent roof canopy, a three-story 
beach house and a 75,000 square foot executive club with four bars, one each for wine, whiskey, tequila, and champagne. The stadium sounds like a five-star vacation, not an event space, but that's not even the best part. They've managed to secure the fastest 5G network that'll have you connected in the stadium at lightning speeds. Pretty strong selling point during this digital age, huh? L.A. fans have much to look forward to once we're allowed back in stadiums. And the other piece of what's interesting today is Under Armour launching the Curry brand. It's interesting news as they try to leverage Stephen Curry's star power into selling more to the younger demographic in efforts to compete with Nike, etc. Stimulating youth sports in lower economic sectors will be the focal point, and nobody's best suited in that sector than Curry. Play on, Under Armour. A couple of issues this week requiring special lifestyle attention, and that's Enid Viana. How about the tech minute? And the interesting thing is about sports leagues continuing to investigate social media, music, copyright issues. The crackdown by the music industry on copyright issues alerted to the NFL and related to them is now keeping other major U.S. pro sports leagues on varying degree of alert. Sports Business Journal has a story talking about an MLB club council meeting reportedly included a discussion about the use of music on club digital platforms. number of you have previously or are recently in receipt of notices from the Kuhn Law Firm asserting that social media accounts associated with your club have performed music without adequate clearance. It's the understanding the music industry has undertaken a substantial effort to scan social media accounts for music usage and seek back royalties. We've been auditing social media content and removing any containing music about which we have questions. Bottom line, as music industry tracking capabilities improve, so will their aggressiveness in clawing back royalties. Look for this to continue on the tech side. And finally, look at good sports this week, and not just one issue, as we've done through the pandemic, many issues. The NFL, my cause, my cleats, a very significant set of charitable events that began recently and is now fully intense over the weekend. Quarterback Russell Wilson honors George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Herbert Hightower, Charlena Lyles in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. 3.8% supported the military, 17% youth, 20% social justice, 14% health and wellness, 13% cancer awareness, 25% animal cruelty, food insecurity, and the like. The bottom line is the diversity, and that should be celebrated. ESPN's 14th consecutive W week for cancer research. They've raised more than $125 million since the program began in 1993. Under the Grapefruit Tree, the C.C. Sabathia story premieres on HBO December 22, inspiring athletes opening up to their friends, family, and teammates knowing about a path than C.C. Sabathia's deep personal story will help. And finally, the University of North Carolina alumni continue to give back in the Tar Heel State and beyond. The Carolina Alumni Review talked about the North Carolina General Alumni Association honoring Big Ten Commissioner Jim Delaney. He maintains a farm called First Fruits Farm where he grows produce such as sweet potatoes and cucumbers, donating these crops to local food pantries. And meanwhile, 
fellow North Carolina alum Michael Jordan announced he'll donate $2 million earned from the ESPN documentary Last Dance to the National Hunger Relief Organization, Feeding America. And that's your significant and always diverse Good Sports 5 for the week. Well, we'd like to thank Dr. Paul Shotland for giving his perspective that's really important in the world of sports to pandemic and post-pandemic. Enid Viana weighing in on her Lifestyle Minute and all of those involved in producing this show. Join us again next week when, once again, we continue to keep score. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit Action Images.